You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. You are listening to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr of coconutsandkettlebells.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. We are rolling right into episode number 337. Today, my guest is someone I've had on before years ago, Laura Schoenfeld. Many of you know her as the Paleo RD. She was one of the first registered dietitians in the holistic and paleo movement and is so incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to adrenal health and hormones and autoimmune conditions. She recently made a huge pivot and now does a lot of business and mindset coaching. She's one of the best and most experienced nutrition business coaches in the industry. And so today we're going to talk all about business for women, pursuing your purpose, and overcoming failure. I am itching to talk to her because as someone who's been managing an online business for seven years now, I'm always wondering where to put my efforts and how to reach more people with this message and, and what to do when I'm burnt out. So I'm really excited to get to talk to her and we'll be really getting into some of the nitty gritty details. Um, even if you aren't running a business right now, this is great just for in terms of just like mindset and managing your health when you are a working woman. So before we dive in, uh, let me tell you about the best gluten-free sourdough bread on the planet I don't, even, I don't say that lightly. <laughs> I have been chowing down on this bread for months. I even took a loaf with us on vacation. It is so good. And the texture reminds me of the bread I used to eat at one of my favorite restaurants going up. It is bread seriously. Bread seriously. Uh, it is super nourishing and seriously delicious, hence the name gluten-free and top nine allergen-free sourdough bread. So in addition to being gluten-free and allergy-friendly, all of their products are refined sugar-free. They're wild fermented for better nutrition and they're made with minimal ingredients. What I love about them is they're actually, uh, they don't contain any nut flowers, which seem to be a little bit triggering and like an irritant for my husband. So unlike conventional brands, their authentic sourdough bread undergoes a long, wild fermentation process which unlocks nutrients from the gluten-free grains into more easily digestible forms. So you all have heard me talk about proper preparation with grains and how I soak rice before I cook it to sort of like trick the grain that it's been planted so it releases some of those anti-nutrients. So with bread, seriously, they have a long wild fermentation process and that does the exact same thing and it results in this delicious uh, gut-friendly bread that nourishes you from the inside out. They have a best-selling classic sourdough loaf. They have a cinnamon raisin loaf. They have sandwich rolls and they have sourdough dinner rolls and all of them are gluten-free and they're made in a dedicated gluten-free facility. It is the perfect 
sandwich bread. Um, and we even use the sandwich rolls that they have and the little dinner rolls for our kids when we make grass-fed burgers on the grill. We've been looking for a gluten-free bun um, for some time. And I just feel like everything has like seed oils or just like a ton of additives and crappy ingredients. And this does not. This was like finally our aha moment of like, okay, now our kids can have you know, like rolls when they eat burgers. It's It's been a blast to kind of experiment with it and see them love it. So bread, seriously, it they ship nationwide um, and they have a guarantee. So if you are absolutely, you're not happy with the taste of their sourdough, they'll gladly give you a full refund. To place an order, go to um, bread seriously. So that's the word bread and then S- rsly.com and then use the code wellfed and you'll get 10% off your order. An entire loaf lasts us like a week. Um, they store really well in the freezer. So they come in like these recyclable uh, paper packaging and then you just stash them all in the freezer and then lay a loaf out or the rolls out when you want to eat it. So we like to put the slices in the toaster and coat them with grass-fed butter and coconut oil. Um, Again, that's bread. Now I'm just thinking about bread. So that's bread, seriously. Again, bread and then com, and then use our code WELLFED for 10% off your order. Just do a bulk order. You get free shipping on a minimum order. So just do a bulk order and store it all in the um, in the freezer. So now let's bring on Laura. Laura Schoenfeld is a registered dietitian, women's health expert, and business coach for integrative and functional dietitians and nutritionists. Her mission is to educate women on how to nourish their bodies, minds, and spirits and help nourish nutrition professionals grow and scale a successful business. A specialist trained in functional medicine nutrition nutritional therapy, she has helped hundreds of women optimize their hormones and gut health while allowing for flexibility in their diet and lifestyle choices. Drawing on her background as a teaching assistant and mentor for the Cresser Institute's ADAPT Functional Practitioner Program, Laura has coached dozens of dietitians and nutritionists on how to grow their business for financial success. Welcome, Laura. I feel like it has been a really long time since not only have I talked to you, but also since I was on the show last. Yeah, I was. Okay, so it was episode number 96. I looked it up, which is a good like four-ish years ago, <laughs> um, which seems like forever ago. But at the same time, I'm like, that was just yesterday. I don't know. It's It's hard for me to it just the podcast I look back and I'm like have we really been doing it this long but um you taught when you were here then you talked all about adrenal fatigue we talked about hormone imbalances and this is when you were building your nutrition business as a registered dietitian and I think a lot of my OG paleo listeners will know who you are because of your work like within the paleo movement and you worked with Chris Kresser um I kind of feel like you were the OG paleo RD oh, and man that the, I love. the original one that's that's high praise <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that was honestly like we back then I don't remember any other registered dietitians really speaking like positively about this like holistic view of nutrition and you know paleo and stuff like that mm -hmm. and so i think you know you obviously worked with chris Kresser and talked a lot um did a, a really great podcast with him for some time and like you just you are so well versed in both the literature but just like nutrition science and um so i mean 
we all knew who you were, and I think a lot of my community will remember you. Uh, but as of last year, you made a pretty significant pivot and then left, you know, this flourishing nutrition business. So talk to me about your experience um, maybe as an RD and building an online business and why you decided to pivot. Yeah, well, that that's going to be spanning the course of like seven years. So I'm going to try to <laughs> give you a nutshell version of it. And it's funny because you were saying that episode was four years ago. I'm like, you have a four-year-old and I have a, I just yeah. had my four-year wedding anniversary. So yes. I feel like we both have had a, a lot. big four years <laughs> as far as change is concerned. So, um, so when I was graduating my undergrad degree, I mean, I was like already pretty steeped in the paleo world. I'm not, I definitely would not call myself paleo anymore. It's kind of one of these, like, I just eat normal food, I guess. I mean, not normal in <laughs> yes. the sense that like, I'm sure I don't actually eat normal, but I feel like I try to eat as normally as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in grad school, I was like, fully immersed in the paleo world and going to like paleo effects working for Chris Cresser. I know you and I had a fun trip to Joel Salatin's farm mm-hmm. back way back in the day. So lots of that stuff happening when I was in grad school. And so for me, when I was graduating, there really wasn't any other option that I could think of that would allow me to work full time in a way that felt appropriate for my perspective as a dietitian that wasn't, you know, promoting low fat and, um, you know, plant-based diets, that kind of thing. It just didn't seem like I was going to be happy working for somebody else. I mean, obviously working for Chris Cresser was great, but that was just a part-time job. So when I was graduating, I was very confident that I wanted a business and specifically an online business because having worked for Chris and seeing what he was able to create in the Mm -hmm. online space, it just was like a no brainer for me to do that myself. Um, And it was funny because my advisor, when I told her that's what I was going to do, she's like, don't you think you should get a job first? And I was like in my head, like, no, I don't think I should get a job first. (laughs) You know, it's like they just give you this like fear that you're going to just completely fail if you try to do anything other than what's, uh, you know, traditional. So Hmm. I pretty much started my business right out of grad school. I had been running my own blog um, which was Ancestralize Me, which is uh, oh, my, L- about that. my LLC. Yeah, my <laughs> LLC is still Ancestral yeah. Nutrition LLC. So um, so I had that blog running since 2011. So I'm really rounding out like my 10th year of having some kind of online presence in the nutrition space, which again, kind of nuts. I don't feel like I'm that old. Um, but I started my blog and then pretty soon after I started working for Chris. So then I started to build up a little bit of a reputation there. And then that was about two years between the time I started that um, that job and when I was actually able to take my own clients. So by the time that I even had a business available, I already had people that were like lined up waiting to work with me, which obviously mm. isn't typical. Um, if you're starting a business from scratch, usually you're not going to have like people that are already asking you, when are you going to be able to take me as a client? But mm-hmm. because I'd spent that two years really focusing on building my audience and building my internet presence, it was kind of like that was my launching pad um, when I started my business. So that was back in 2014. And I've done a lot of things. It's kind of funny to look back at all the different things I've created in my business. Most of the time I was focusing on women's health, hormone health, like you were saying before, adrenal fatigue, quote unquote, as they say, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) hypothalamic amenorrhea, just a lot of the hormonal issues that 
women can experience when they're not taking care of themselves. And it was something that actually came from my own personal experience with the traditional low carb paleo not working well for me. So what I ended up doing was, you know, from my experience saying like, oh, low carb is actually not making me feel great. It's not, you know, keeping my body as healthy as it could. It's messing my hormones up flipping over to more of that like moderate to higher carb approach and starting to dismantle a lot of the myths around nutrition for um, premenopausal women, which have their own unique nutritional needs. That was kind of my main focus when I was working in my online business. Obviously, I kind of ran the gamut of a lot of different types of health conditions because I got in early enough that it was just like, like you said, I was just a paleo dietitian and that was enough of a selling point for people back in 2013 um, or 2014 officially when I started my business. And so as time progressed, I just was learning a lot more and more about business and marketing. Um, at, to date, I've invested about $250,000 in between coaches and programs and all the different things to learn about online marketing. And part of it was for growing my business, obviously. And part of it was because I actually just really love learning about that kind of stuff. I honestly mm -hmm. just love the intersection of psychology and motivation and, um, you know, being able to help people get the help that they need, but also learning how to help them take action. Because, you know, if it was as simple as just putting a buy now button on your website, then all of us would have a very easy time running an online business. So a lot of what I was learning was around like messaging and marketing and like just the psychology of helping people say yes to investing in themselves and investing with you as their, um, their coach or their consultant or nutritionist, whatever kind of business you're running. So I've been spending a lot of time and money and energy learning about business. And I started to notice like what, some of the most fun I was having in my business in the last couple of years was participating in mastermind retreats that I was a client of the mastermind. And so I was there to learn and to grow and to get my own challenges solved. But also part of being in a mastermind is supporting other people and helping with their challenges and giving them ideas and all of that. So when I was at these events, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like really fun. People keep telling me that my ideas are really helpful and that, you know, I'm, you know, making a huge impact on their ability to solve the problems. And so I just started to notice that I was really enjoying it. And at first I was like, oh, I could just do this on the side. Let me take on a couple of other dietitians as like mentees and start working with them to help them grow their business just as like a, a way to keep things fresh. Because as um, Noelle and I were talking about before we jumped on, when you've been in the space this long, sometimes you just want to talk about new things, right? So it's like, <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, it's exciting to get to talk about something a little different. And so I, I actually started my own mastermind for nutritionists and dietitians that launched the beginning of 2020. And we had our first in-person event for that March, I, I guess it was February 29th and March 1st. And that was like right before all mm -hmm. the craziness of COVID started. And I had so much fun at that event. I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like exactly what I want. I just felt like I was totally in my zone of genius the whole time. And I just had not had that experience in the health business. I don't want to say ever, but it had been a really long time since I had felt that way. And it just felt like, wow, this is something that I just can't believe how much I love 
doing. Um, and then so when COVID happened and everything was forced online, I noticed that there was a lot of colleagues that I had and a lot of people in the various like Facebook groups that I'm in for nutritionists and dietitians that were freaking out, had no idea how to do online business. Everybody was like scrambling to get set up with more of an online type of service. Even my mom, who's a dietitian, I actually spent, I think at least like two full days helping her get her stuff set up for running things online because she has an in-person business. And as that was happening, one, I was just kind of pausing and kind of observing what was happening. Obviously, a lot of us were kind of like, we have no idea what's going on. So let's just like, Mm -hmm. like ride the wave a little bit and see what happens. Like just kind of keep calm as much as possible. And after about like two months of that, I realized like there was all these opportunities that were getting presented to me to help other people with their businesses. And there's a kind of random series of event. I'm not, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but essentially I had the opportunity to launch what's called a beta for a group coaching program that we now call the Nutrition Business Accelerator. And I literally just was like, well, let's just do it. So I sat down and wrote the outline of the course in a weekend and literally launched it like the next day and had our first group of like 30 people join and literally just created the whole thing. Um, Kind of, I don't want to say on a whim, but it was like, all right, we're doing this and just went for it. So that was last June that we started that first round. And to date, we've had three rounds of that program run. I have um, a mastermind with 12 clients in that. And then we also have a mid-tier coaching program for NBA alum that we're working with um, nutrition entrepreneurs in that as well. So it's been quite the busy year. And one of the biggest decisions I had to make last year was the decision to literally closed down my nutrition practice because I was getting to a place where running both was just, it was like especially tiring because I literally felt like I had to switch back and forth between helping people with their health. And then like, it could be one call talking about, uh, digestive issues. And then literally the next climb on, we're talking about, um, you know, a marketing campaign or something. And so I realized that if I was going to have the kind of business that I really wanted, which was one that was easier for me to run, that was easier for me to systematize, that I was going to have to just pick one and stick with it. So ultimately, my passion just fell with the business coaching. And so I literally shut the nutrition business down and now am 100% focused on helping other nutrition entrepreneurs get their businesses off the ground. So I know I said it was going to be a short story I made it as short as I could. <laughs> Feel free to chat now. I know you're probably off like walking the dog or something while I'm on my monologue. You know, I was actually just sitting here thinking about you having a call with somebody about their poop and then switching over and being like, now lead magnets. Uh, yeah, like, literally. Really it was hard. exactly that. Like reviewing yeah. a GI map test with somebody yeah. and then like, all right, let me look at your, your email campaigns mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. It's just... It was, it was honestly exhausting to do that. It wasn't that it was more time spent. It's just, and that's something I teach my clients is trying to narrow your focus enough in your business so that you actually make it easy to deliver the services because Mm -hmm. yeah, like I could have been doing the same number of hours of calls, but having to talk about so many different topics and like bouncing back and forth, context Mm -hmm. switching, it was like, I just knew that wasn't going to be sustainable for me to have the kind of business I want to have. 
Yeah. I know a lot of people have a lot going on that they are already doing, which you had. You were already doing this huge nutrition. You know, you had a a flourishing practice and online presence, which we know is not simple. Like, not only the business side of that, but marketing yourself and staying on top of trends and all the things. So how did you essentially shift yourself out of the dietitian, you know, work and into the the marketing stuff? Did you intentionally titrate it down and then titrate up this next business? And how would you recommend people do that who maybe are like, you know, in a full-time job and want to kind of shift to doing something else? Do, do, do they stop and then start? Or is it is it a natural kind of we shift out and we and we move into something new? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting situation because I think the way I tend to do things is not often how I recommend people doing (laughs) things. So usually I don't recommend just shutting down like a multi six figure business and starting a new one all at the same time. But I'm I'm just kind of the person that I need to be like all in on something. So it it's just that's how I operate, but that's not necessarily the optimal way for everyone to operate, right? Like usually I would suggest whether it's your own full-time job that you're in or a part-time job, or if you have something else on the side that is bringing in revenue for you, that ideally it's good to have that as your baseline before switching over to something new. Now, that obviously depends on a lot of factors. It depends on like, are you the key breadwinner for your family? Like, do you have other people depending on you making money? Um, Lots of different things that can play into that decision. Because if if your money is just kind of like bonus money for your family, then obviously that's going to make it an easier decision than if you're, you know, paying the mortgage. So my feeling is like, I don't typically recommend just leaping into something without any sort of evidence that it's going to be profitable. And when I have a client that's working a full-time job and wants to start their own online business, typically I recommend them getting some momentum going before they make that switch. And if possible, having like a, you know, if you have a full-time job dropping down to part-time to be able to do both can be really helpful. Um, It really just depends on you and your personality. I am definitely a big risk taker and in a weird way, like I hate roller coasters, which is like actually not that risky. But <laughs> when it comes to my <laughs> business, it's like I will just like leap before I look kind of thing. Um, and so it's one of these things where I do think that comes with some some experience and some trust in yourself to be able to generate the revenue. And to be fair, I wouldn't say that I shut the nutrition business down immediately. Like it wasn't like I fired all my clients and was just like, I'm done. This is over. (laughs) It was just like a conscious decision to stop marketing to new nutrition clients and to finish out the ones that I was working with and to really start marketing myself to my new audience, which for me, honestly, I already had a decent number of followers in the nutrition space because I think a lot of times we tend to follow other nutritionists because we want to see what other people are doing. We want to make relationships. And so a lot of my first clients came from people that were already following me as a nutritionist. And then when I went to really launch things more seriously and to really turn that into my main focus, I actually did a lot of um, diversification of my audience building, which included things like um, doing Facebook ads. Uh, I partnered with one of my coaches and did an affiliate launch for his program, which I actually piggybacked off that to launch my beta. So I'm kind of one of these people that I try to be resourceful and I try to not put all my eggs in one basket. So even things like social media, 
honestly, Instagram and all that is not a huge part of my business and it's not a huge part of how I get my clients. So when I started transitioning to talking about business stuff, I don't even know if that was like a huge impact on my ability to, to start something new. I think I was actually doing a lot of work behind the scenes with, like I said, doing that, that ad strategy and everything to get a new audience. And then once I felt like, okay, this is running, this is working, this group program is effective. This is where I want to put my, um, my full focus. That was when I just kind of was like, all right, we're done with talking about nutrition. We're going to really just start talking about the business stuff now. Mm. Yeah. So if someone wants to start pursuing their passion, what, like you said, you know, st- get, get momentum going before you take the leap, which I totally agree with. Like I, I, even as a risk taker, I still do not regret, you know, tiring myself out initially for a little bit to build, to go to school, also be, you know, doing 20 hours a week at my job and building an online business because it's there's a lot of tedious things you have to do that don't mm-hmm. make you any money, right? Like right. <laughs> you're Googling, how do I start a website? Like it's just a lot of stuff. So getting a lot of that stuff behind you is really important. But if somebody's like, yeah, this is what I want to do, maybe they're in a job. Is there like what initial steps should someone take to make sure that they're making a right decision that this is this is needed in the marketplace and almost like... Uh, builds a sort of like a proof of concept like yeah this is because it just feels like there are so many people doing what it is being an influencer whether it's you know health or fitness nutrition it just it always feels like the marketplace is crowded so are are Mm -hmm. there things that somebody that things that people can do to kind of almost say okay yeah this is going to be a good idea i should pursue this as a second option Yes. And I have so much that I could say about this. I'm trying to think (laughs) which direction I want to go in because even that concept of the marketplace being crowded is kind of Mm -hmm. an interesting. I don't agree with that term crowded. The term that I really like to use when we're talking about the state of online nutrition business now, because like what we were saying before, when when you and I got started, there weren't that many people and it was kind of weird to have an online nutrition business, right? Like we we benefited from the fact that it was not like we were competing with a bunch of people. However, you know, the flip side of that is that you had to convince people that doing online nutrition services would be just as good, if not better than in person. Mm -hmm. So it was a different issue that we were dealing with. Also, just I'm sure you could agree all the tech stuff that has since gotten a lot easier. And it's like all the stuff that you can do that you would have had to like pay like a coder (laughs) for your website to do. That's just ridiculous. Um, But instead of considering the market to be crowded, the term I like is market sophistication. That is from a book. Oh my gosh, I'm going to blank on the guy's name. Um, I'll have to look into this. I hate not giving credit when in, when it's somebody else's idea. So uh, it's called Breakthrough Advertising. Eugene Schwartz, I think is the guy's name. The book is like 60 or 70 years old. It's it, <laughs> I think it was written in the early 60s or something. Um, and... It's really interesting because it applies so well to current day marketing. It's one of those like marketing principles that really hasn't changed and probably won't change, at least until, you know, the tech just way outpaces normal marketing. But basically, the concept of market sophistication is this idea that as more solutions come into the marketplace, we have to start distinguishing our solution from the other solutions that exist. So either our solution has to be a new solution that hasn't been done before, 
or it just has to be a better solution for the particular problem that somebody wants to solve. And this is something that I teach my clients when they're first getting started, or even if they've been running a business for a while and they're starting to feel like they're not getting the traction that they want, they're not really getting the audience growth or the like response to their offers, is this idea that you have to be focused on the specific problem that a person wants solved. And you'd use that term passion before, Listen, I love passion. I think passion's great, but I do not think passion is the thing that's going to run a profitable profitable business for somebody because unfortunately there's a lot of things that we're passionate about that people don't necessarily want to pay you for. I've had that experience before. I've built programs before that I was like, "Yeah, this is an amazing program. I'm so passionate about it." And then it was almost impossible to sell to people that already didn't know who didn't already know me and didn't already want to work with me and they were just ready to buy whatever I was going to sell. So we really need to be thinking about what problem are we solving for our clients? And then when we look at the nutrition marketplace, and if your listeners are thinking about other businesses, this could go for other marketplaces as well, but I'll just talk about nutrition since that's my wheelhouse. But um, basically there, we just have to get to a place where we can show people that we can solve the problem that they have and that the way we solve the problem not only is effective, but is the way that they want to solve the problem. So I'm happy to go into more detail about this, but basically the problem with coming on and saying, I'm going to start my business based on what I'm passionate about is that there's no, there's no guarantee that people actually want to pay for a solution to that passion, right? If it's like, oh, I'm really passionate about, um, you know, healthy cooking and I want to run a coaching program for learning how to make these recipes. That's great. And maybe it'll work, but just remember that you're competing with a lot of free stuff on the internet now. And so to convince somebody to pay for something that they think they can get for free, you have to really think through what is the actual problem that you're solving for someone that they need your help to solve and that they would be willing to pay for. So that's always something we want to look at when we are thinking about what kind of business we want to create. Is it actually solving a problem that people are willing to pay for? Because if it's not, then it's just going to be a hobby, which again, that's great you want to have a hobby, awesome. But if you want to build a business, there needs to be a demand for that as a paid service. So how do you figure out what people's problems are and what, how they want them solved? Well, there's two, there's really two different ways that you can approach it. It kind of depends on where you're starting from, because if you're starting from zero and you just are like, I'm going to just start this business, I'm going to start doing social media, I'm going to start a blog, whatever you're going to start, then you're not necessarily going to have a big audience to survey and to ask like, what are your issues? Like, what are you struggling with? That kind of thing. So typically when I help a client figure out what the problem is that they're going to solve, I look at three different types of, um, angles. I actually have a framework called the perfect problem framework that I teach my clients for how to figure out what focus they want in their business. And the three different areas are, um, joy. So do you enjoy helping people? That's kind of that passion element. Like, do you actually like serving people in this space? Because obviously if you don't like it, there's probably not a big reason to actually do it. You could probably find a job that you enjoy more. So do you enjoy helping with a certain type of issue? Are you skilled at helping with that particular issue? And the interesting thing about skill is I feel like you can always build skill. So as long as you have more skill than the people that you want to help and you can take 
as long as you're at least a step or two ahead of them and you can take them step by step to get to the result that they want, then you do have skill. Now, obviously, in the health space, there are some different things around licensure and education and all of that that you have to be aware of. But ultimately, if you're skilled at helping somebody get to a certain result, then that is something that would be a really good business idea. And then the third part is the value. So this is how much do other people value this as a result. Now, this is something that the best way to know if if people value it is to ask people to pay you. So that's one of the reasons why I don't recommend just like going cold turkey on whatever income stream you have and just starting something (laughs) new without creating some level of offer to present to people because people will tell you that, oh yeah, that's so valuable. That sounds great. I'd love to do it. And then when you actually put a price tag on it, that's when you're really going to see if people actually value it or not. So the best way to figure out if people value what you're offering is to literally try to sell it. Um, but there's also other ways that you can identify value in the marketplace. Like you could see if other people are building businesses, serving that audience. If you see other products that exist that are designed to solve that problem, basically if there's evidence that there's other people doing it and that there's other services that have been created to solve that problem, that's a pretty good indicator that there is some level of value for solving that problem. So basically we want to make sure that our target audience or our ideal customer that they value solving that problem to the point that they would be willing to pay for it, that you enjoy helping people with that problem and that you have the skills necessary to actually help people get results to solve that problem. So I'm just going to come out and say it. You all know I don't have any products on here that I don't use personally. Most of the time I find something I love and then I go and ask them to sponsor. Element was one of the first sponsors that I had actually not heard about, saw the product and was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for, started using it. And I think it has become my most favorite product ever that I get to talk about on the show, which is such a blessing. And I'm so thankful that they support this podcast. I use it every day. It has made such a huge difference. Just comparing last year and what I was doing in terms of my workouts and the heat. And this year, I even, I mean, even this week, I just did a 45 minute workout, had element after just one packet, had a, had a, a glass of, of element afterwards. And it, I didn't feel anything like, I didn't feel the fatigue. I didn't feel the dizziness, nothing. And it just made such a huge difference in my ability to recover and my energy levels. So if you are active or you're following a whole foods diet, I think that you can see such positive result from electrolyte replacement like element and that's spelled l-m-n-t electrolytes are so important because water absorption in your body is dependent upon the absorption of key electrolytes like sodium and magnesium and potassium yes it is intentionally high in sodium because we lose it so quickly when we sweat and it because when you have like a whole foods diet like so many of you are following it's naturally low in sodium And so if you are low in sodium, it shows up as dizziness and muscle cramps and headaches and fatigue and even sleep disturbances. So Element actually makes these grab and go electrolyte replacement supplements. You just take a recharge packet, which they have all different flavors, mix it with water, and then you sip on it. There is no sugar, gluten fillers, artificial ingredients, and it's paleo friendly. It's the first of its kind. I used to work in the endurance athlete industry and 
always was looking for something like this and here it is. So I've been using Element regularly on workout days. Um, I usually drink it right afterwards, but now with the heat happening, <laughs> the heat wave, it's 97 degrees today here actually. I've actually been drinking it a little bit even on my off days and it, it's made such a difference. So there is a brand new watermelon flavor. It's amazing. There is a limited edition grapefruit flavor. I love that they're coming out with all these new flavors for us because they know we drink it on a daily basis and the variety is great. So grab grapefruit if you can. It reminds me a lot of raspberry. It's slightly tart but slightly sweet which is perfect. Um, if you want to try a variety of flavors just grab a free sample box by going to drinklmnt.com forward slash well fed. That's drink lmnt.com forward slash well fed. You'll just pay for shipping and you can try all the a variety of the flavors and figure out which which one's your favorite and just see how it, how it works for you. Try it on workout days. Try it on days that you're out in the heat. And then if you love it, come back, use our, our link and you can do the buy three boxes, get one free. That's the best value. Um, and you can pick the flavors that you want. So again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash well-fed. So I want to jump into marketing and online business because I think a lot of people initially, I'm sure you see this a lot, they initially start to try to build an influence on social media. And that is where they spend all of their time is, you know, building their followers, which is not a like a lost thing. It's not like it's, it's n not a uh, uh, can result in, you know, sales or people finding you or, or in or engaging with your community. But especially <laughs> thanks to 2020, just people are just on their phones all the time and on social mm -hmm. media more. And so when, so when somebody thinks about building an online business, they always go to social media. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is well, let's let's just talk about yeah, I read a really interesting post that you made on Instagram which was there's a difference between building a business on tools, social media is a tool, versus building a business on principles. What what does it mean to build a business on principles? Great question. And <laughs> social media is one of those things that I I have one of these relationships with where I'm like any day now I could quit it. <laughs> like, I'm just like, Same. am I done with this? Yeah. Like, I actually did quit it for a period of time, spe specifically Instagram, because I, I don't know why Instagram is just like the thing that's the hardest to mm. deal with as far as like emotional and mental health is concerned. Um, but I do not believe you need to use social media to build a business. And I actually think that a lot of times when people start with the focus on social media first, that they're actually doing things backwards. And it takes a lot of luck to be able to build a business by starting on social media. I'm not saying it's impossible to do it. Obviously there's people out there that are doing it. So, you know, if you want to go that direction, go for it. I just don't think it's the most effective way to build a business. And a lot of times it makes things a lot harder and makes things much more competitive when you're like trying to compete with other people rather than just focusing on really your approach and your message and all of that. So when we talk about tools, tools versus foundations, foundations are really the concepts and the strategies and the things that kind of weave through anything that you do in your business that are going to affect the success of your business. Things like 
knowing your target audience or your niche, like who are you actually helping and what problem are you solving for them? That is a foundational uh, strategy that's going to show up in every single thing that you do in your business, every single decision that you make, even to the point where you're like building a team and you think about who am I hiring for my team and how is that going to serve this particular audience better? So those are the kind of things that are foundational that your business needs to be successful and to uh, really help you make clear, focused decisions that are going to move your business forward and are not just going to keep you stuck in that busy work cycle. The tools, on the other hand, are things that can be used to grow your business, are not necessary to grow your business, and typically you're going to select which tools you're using and not try to use every single tool that exists. So for social media, for example, most businesses, at least the ones that I work with that don't want to be on the computer all the time, want to have a life outside of their business, they're not going to be on every single social platform that exists. They're not going to have a, a community on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and uh, TikTok and Clubhouse and Pinterest. Like you could honestly have an entire business just putting things on social media and literally never make a dollar because you're just spending so much time putting content out there. So typically when you're choosing a tool, you're choosing it based on what is the foundational principle and what is the goal of that tool. So if I look at something like Instagram, I would be asking like, does your ideal client use Instagram? If yes, cool. Maybe it's a good tool to use. If no, it's probably not a useful tool. Um, is your content something that translates well to photos and videos? If yes, great. Instagram would be a good tool. If not, maybe you'd be better off using something else. Um, there's the concept of the type of content that you're putting on social media, because I think people get wrapped up in this, oh, I just have to put a ton of valuable stuff out there and grow my audience and get like that K after my number of followers and get the swipe up and that's what's gonna grow my business. and they don't really think about whether or not those people that are following them are ever actually going to buy anything from them. Cause I've, I've had clients before that had tens and hundreds of thousands of followers, but anytime they would try to launch a program, it would flop and hardly anybody would buy anything versus I have other clients that have well under 5,000 followers and are making multiple six, even close to seven figures of revenue in their business every year. So there's definitely a strategic way to use social media. And if you're going to use something like Instagram, you want to be putting content on there that actually attracts buyers and helps people take action to invest rather than just putting a ton of valuable content out that attracts people that are just looking for free information and would never be buying something from you. So mm. I have a lot that I could share about this and I want to make sure I don't like go off on all sorts of random rabbit trails. But basically the idea is that there's certain principles like who are you helping in your business? What problem are you solving? How do you solve that problem for them? And why should somebody work with you as opposed to anybody else? Those are core elements of your business that apply no matter what kind of tools you're using. And then when you choose the tools, it's all coming back to those um, foundations of like your specific audience, the problem that you solve, and also the kind of business that you want to have. Because even if you could be successful using a certain tool, that doesn't mean that that tool has to be used. Like if you hate social media and you don't want to be on Instagram, that's probably not the best tool for you to use to grow your audience. Maybe you'd be better off writing a blog or, or doing Pinterest or 
um, running Facebook ads, like actually paying for your traffic. There's so many different ways that you can get in front of your target audience. You don't have to use social media. And again, just looking at it as this is a tool to get you in front of potential buyers. You have to use it effectively so that it's actually growing your business. And you have to be selective about the tools you use so that you don't get burnt out by trying to be everywhere and be on everything and just do all the things that you see other people doing without any sort of strategy behind it. So where should people spend their time if they're not? Because some people are like, well, what do I do then if I'm not trying to grow on Instagram? Is it a website? Is it, you know, is it groups? Is it masterminds? You talked about your, you know, your mastermind almost being kind of the catalyst for your second business and networking and all of that. And we we both know the power of who you know and networking and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where where do people spend their time if it's not just, you know, on Instagram creating content. Yeah. And again, I don't want to bash Instagram because there's definitely people out there that have really successful businesses that that do rely on um, social media. Now, I'm always cautious to be too attached to one particular tool, especially because at any point, any of these tools could disappear. I mean, even Facebook ads, I, I know of people that get their ad accounts permanently shut down arbitrarily like it just seems kind of random sometimes and if that happens they either have to start a new account or they have to figure out another way to get in front of their audience Um, I've had clients with tens of thousands of Instagram followers that their account got hacked and then they had to start their account over from scratch so I never want anyone to get too attached to any one tool because one the tools change all the time like I don't know. Remember Periscope, for example, everybody was all about Periscope for (laughs) a hot minute. And then now I don't even know it exists anymore. Yeah. So it's like you never want to get too attached to one tool because you never know how long it's going to be there. You never know what new tools are getting created. Um, But if you want to grow a business, you do have to get in front of potential clients. So again, it comes down to who do you want to help and how do you want to help them? Because if you don't know those things, then it is going to be hard to figure out where to spend, excuse me, where to spend your time. But once you have that stuff figured out, then you can make decisions around, okay, well, what might be the best way to get in front of them? Is there a Facebook group that I could be um, engaging in and connecting with people? Is there a local business that I could partner with and maybe do some free presentations and get some clients that way? Um, Maybe Instagram is the thing you want to do, but at least once you know who you want to help and what problem you want to solve for them, you can really target your posts to make sure that they are specific to that problem so that you attract those people more effectively than just putting random like generic content out, just hoping that people will find you somehow. So I always want people to start like really beginning with what is the service that you want to provide and how do you actually want to make money? Because ultimately it's not a business if you're not making money. So figuring out that part first and really figuring out how are you going to serve clients and how are you going to actually get money for the work that you're doing and then using that to decide, okay, now how am I going to get in front of these potential clients effectively and picking your content marketing strategy or you know your paid ad strategy or your networking strategy based on the particular service that you want to provide. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. 
And let's, you're kind of, we've been talking around it, but it, you know, it's, it's part, you, this is a big thing that you talk about. Um, so I just want to jump right into it. Niches or niches, depending on where you're at in the world. Um, <laughs> this is for how fancy, how fancy yeah, you want to be. Yeah, I, yeah. I say niche because I'm, I do too. Like I do too. But every time I listen to these marketing podcasts, they're always like niches. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. I know. It <laughs> sounds very harsh niche. and ugly. Yeah. I like niches. So we'll go too. with niching. Okay, cool. We're right. Um, so <laughs> this, <laughs> we're correct. Wrong. You're wrong if you say niche. Just FYI. Totally. Yes. Um, I think because people want to say niches because riches is it, are riches are in the niches is like a fun little saying. And so that has to rhyme. I'm like, but it doesn't because it's niche. Um, yeah. Anyway. Well, I just want to be rich then. I don't <laughs> care about being rich. <laughs> Zing. Um, okay, so this is, I think it's probably one of the hardest things for people who want to start an online business because they don't want to leave anybody out. So they're like, well, if I niche down, I just talk about this one thing, then I can't help all these other people who I could actually help. So mm-hmm. what is a niche? And when somebody is thinking about building their online business, how do they know if they have niched down enough and are actually their niche is, is essentially going to be solving a problem? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, so FYI, I have like a two to three hour workshop on niching. So I'm going to do my best to distill it down into the most important things. But in that workshop, we go over that concept of market sophistication and how, you know, in a more crowded marketplace, you really do need to be able to stand out more effectively. And so what I find, and this is coming from someone who really struggled with niching myself, it was something that I don't know if it's because like my first foray into business, the market wasn't as sophisticated. So just coming online and saying, I'm a paleo RD, like that was literally enough. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that I was a paleo RD was enough for people to be like, I want to work with you. So I'm totally honest when I say that when I started, I did not have to be as niche because there wasn't as much noise on the internet about nutrition. Like it was, I was one of the creators that was like you said known in that space and it was that was a hot topic back then like people were looking for it so in some ways obviously I was niched but I was still trying to help people like basically my niche was the hammer and I was trying to use the hammer to solve a bunch of different problems so it was like okay I'm a paleo dietitian so I can use paleo to help your GI issues your autoimmune issues your hormone issues like all these different Mm -hmm. things and now I teach the opposite, right? Like I teach, figure out what problem you want to solve. And then you create the tools that help people solve the problem. That's a much more effective and much more efficient way to grow business. Um, But I definitely struggled with niching for a while, partially because of how I started. And then partially because of who my influences were, like Chris Kresser, who is like, whatever the anti niche is, like he just has so much stuff about everything, which yes, he's been successful doing that. But that's very, very unusual. Um, But so I really struggle with this. And the reason why I kind of had like a come to Jesus moment about it. And honestly, this was a, another reason why I switched into the business coaching is because I was like, okay, this is actually a problem I can focus on as opposed to like picking a health problem. I just, for whatever reason, was really struggling to do that. Um, but basically, I was running into some problems where creating content like either I was feeling uninspired or I just felt like I don't know what I should be talking about to really capture the right people. And it's either you feel like you don't know what to say, or you might get into a situation like Noelle and I have been in when it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff that I've talked about. It's like, what, 
Like, what am I even talking about anymore? It's like so broad. Um, so sometimes, you know, that can feel overwhelming too when it's like, there's so many things I could talk about and it's like, how do you even decide what to talk about? So struggling to create content, struggling to grow an audience because people don't really know, are you actually going to be able to help them? And there's people out there that are more specific to what they're looking for. So they're going to follow them. So just struggling to get traction with audience growth as the marketplace started to get more crowded. Um, you know, even being able to raise my prices and to make more money in my business, not solving a specific problem made it a lot harder to do that. Now it's, Obviously, I was able to, but it definitely was not as easy as when I was more focused on a particular problem and I could articulate how I was going to solve that problem for somebody. And then the other challenge I was running into is I really wanted to scale out to group and online courses type of programs because as much as I love one-on-one after doing it for seven or eight years, I just was ready to start (laughs) not only doing one-on-one and to really have more of my time freedom back. And so without a niche, it's really almost impossible to effectively expand beyond one-on-one services. And that was an issue I ran into when I tried to launch a group program that was really more passion focused and less problem solving focused. And it really did not sell very well, unfortunately. It was a great program and the people that did it loved it, but it was it was almost impossible to market. And so that was one of the reasons I had to scrap it and start over. So these are really common problems for people, whether it's in the beginning when they're like, I can't get any traction, nobody understands what I do, or they're like not interested in working with me, or maybe you've already gotten some traction, but you want to start scaling and it's really hard because it's like, well, how do I encapsulate all of the different things I do into like a group program or an online program. So Hmm. that's where niching can really help. And honestly, for me, niching just comes down to picking what problem that you're solving for which particular type of person and identifying how you're going to solve that problem. Um, I know that sounds super simple. It's not that simple and it can be complicated and to figure out how to actually create the messaging around that and to create the, the, really just the marketing materials around that niche. You can't just say, oh, I help people with gut issues, right? Like you have to really get clear about what kind of gut issues, what kind of person, what is it that makes you different than any other gut health person out there. That's the kind of stuff that we get into in this niche masterclass that I have. And that's where you start to create that level of distinction that helps people see you as the one they want to work with when they do have a lot of different options. So that's honestly, when I think about niching, it's not about limiting you. It's not about like, uh, like not helping people. It's about getting clear on who are you best equipped to serve? Who do you enjoy serving the most? And where do you want to put your focus and your attention? Because ultimately, the only way to have a successful business is to focus on certain things and to say no to a lot more things than you say yes to. And part of that is saying yes to certain types of clients and no to other cert- other types of clients that even if you could, in theory, help them, it's not conducive to a a successful business to try to help everyone with everything. Mm -hmm. So I know that was a super roundabout answer. I'm not even sure if I answered the original (laughs) question, but uh, hopefully that's helpful. And I actually look at niching as the whole point is to exclude people, because if you're not excluding anybody, then you're really not helping anyone very um, effectively either. 
Right. Yeah, I think that's really important because, like you said, gut health is not a niche. And I think a lot of people consider that to be. I think a lot of people consider, oh, paleo to be a niche. Mm-hmm. And it's just not. Like, it's, it's you, you explained it perfectly, which is you have to be able to figure out, you know, how can I effectively help this person like what does this it's not just gut health it's like what does the person who's experiencing the gut issues need and what's their problems and what makes them unique and how can Mm -hmm. i fit that need um and it gives you a lot more freedom too so when you drop the things that you think you should be doing because it helps you reach more people or you know you hopefully will get more clients you get better at doing the the thing solving the problem and then your expertise in that area grows, you know, especially from how people, your own skill can grow, but also just how people view you, you know, oh, how yeah, people definitely. view you as the expert changes. So, oh yeah, totally. And it's so ironic because one of the reasons why so many people struggle to pick a niche is because they're like, well, I'm not an expert enough to go in that direction and to choose that niche. And it's like, how do you think people become an expert in a topic? They don't become mm-hmm. an expert by learning everything about every single health condition that exists in the world, right? Like, yeah, okay, you can get like some baseline understanding of those things. And obviously, you know, over time, you can start to build your knowledge in a variety of different areas. But the only way you're ever really going to feel like an expert and to be able to present yourself as an expert is to focus on one core area of whether it's a health business or not, it doesn't really matter. We don't have unlimited amount of time and unlimited amount of energy to learn every single thing about everything that exists. And even in the health space, new information is coming out all the time. That was honestly one of the other reasons I ended up dropping the health business and really focusing on the the business business is because I just couldn't keep up with learning both the marketing stuff and Mm. the the health stuff in order to teach people. Cause I feel like understanding it for myself is totally different than being able to teach somebody effectively. And so really just keeping tabs on like all the different changes, it wasn't possible for me to do both well. And I, I have a very high standard as far as like committing to excellence with the work that I do. And so that was one of the reasons why I did eliminate my entire nutrition client side of the business, because I just didn't feel like I could do an effective job becoming and staying in that expertise if I was trying to focus on too many different topics. So if somebody out there is listening and they're like, well, I can't pick a niche because I'm not an expert yet. Just know that that's actually probably why you don't feel like an expert yet is because you haven't decided on an on a direction to go in and committed yourself to becoming an expert in that area. Hmm, I like that. Um, okay, questions from the community. We've got a couple good ones. Jody asks, how do you get comfortable with failure and rejection? I realize it's part of the process, but it's hard. And I know you just mentioned that you had to fail and completely scrap a course. <laughs> it was this last year and start over again. So talk to me about maybe how you how you got comfortable with with failure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I wouldn't say that I'm comfortable with it. I mean... <laughs> I still hate it. I'm a, yeah. I'm a perfectionist. I right. have very high standards for like achievement and everything. I'm a three on the Enneagram. So failure is not something that I'm like super comfortable with, but something that has really helped me reframe it is just knowing that it's, again, it is part of the process. And the only way to avoid failing is to not try anything. Right. So like 
if I ever want to do something that I haven't done before, I have to be okay with the idea that the first time I do it or the second time I do it or the third time I do it, that it's not going to turn out the way I was hoping. Um, we actually, I did a whole podcast interview with my coach James about this a couple months ago, talking about this concept of failure and discussing how like there's, there's a difference between giving something up because it's not actually going to work and you've done, you've put in the effort, you've tried, you've given it, you know, a lot of energy and thought and, and, um, just tried to make it work. And you come to a realization that you're like, this isn't actually working. I'm going to go in a different direction versus the minute something gets hard being like, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to give up before it gets hard. That's a totally different mindset. And so for me, even with scrapping this program that I spent like a year creating and was like so proud of as far as the actual program is concerned, I came to a place where I realized that the way I had built it just wasn't actually ever going to work or it was going to be like this massive uphill climb that I knew it didn't have to be that hard. So for me, it's this idea of knowing that failure is part of the process and even just being okay with failing on a more regular basis in my life in general. Like I try to apply that to a lot of different areas. Um, like working out, for example, when I'm lifting a heavy weight, I know that there's a chance I'll fail. And I know that the only way I can get stronger is to play at that level that puts me at risk of failure and being okay. If I have to like bail the weight, because it's like, okay, the only reason I had to bail that is because I pushed myself a little past what I'm capable of but that's how I grow. So I take that mm. same mindset with business where it's like, okay, if I want to grow and I want to do things I've never done before, I have to play at that level that puts me at a high risk of failure. And I have to look at it as just par for the course. And it happens. It happens to everyone. Um, it's really, really helpful to be in community with people that are doing what you want to do because you will learn very quickly that even people that look really successful and polished on the outside are dealing with a lot of challenges and their own failures on the inside, or maybe they've overcome a failure that you're going through that they dealt with a year ago or two years ago. So that's been another really big part of my journey is having mentors and having colleagues paying for masterminds, being in groups where people are honest with each other about the challenges that they're facing and really normalizing failure and realizing that like, Everybody that we look up to in the online business space not only has failed before, but is constantly failing and constantly trying things that don't work. So just really normalizing it. And that doesn't mean it doesn't suck. Like, again, I still hate the experience of failure, but just reframing it as, okay, this is a good sign that I'm trying things that are new and I'm pushing myself past my former limits. Hmm. I think once when I when I was like preparing my blog to like kind of launch it and stuff. I, you know, I was doing a lot of research just with these online marketing guru gurus like Pat Flynn and um, Amy Porterfield and all this stuff. And I remember seeing a blog post that somebody had written and they were like two years into, they had done it. They had shown a graph of their traffic essentially because they were, you know, bloggers, whether it was writing recipes or something, but, um, and it showed it was like this very, you know, small, just like little tiny line of traffic that never really spiked just a few hundred people a day. And then they showed a spot they said pointed to it, which was like, you know, maybe a year and a half or two years in and said, this is where we sat down and said, do we want to keep doing this? Should we should we cut it? 
You know, Mm -hmm. let's cut, let's cut and get out. I don't think we should do this anymore. They said, let's just give it a little bit longer. And then like three months later, you know, traffic shot up, something happened, something worked. And it was like, boom, it was successful. And that always stuck with me because now, you know, I failed many times. And when something fails or when I am push in a phase of like pushing through, uh, mm-hmm. what's the word? Grit. Angela Ducks, Duckworth, I think her name is, wrote a book called Grit. And it's just that it's people who have grit are able to say, okay, I can make it through this season of life failing, maybe not, you know, things aren't growing, things aren't doing what I want them to do. But I am creating a foundation. I am learning and I'm learning through those failures and I'm able to get back up after that failure and say, okay, what did I just learn? Let me take that and try something new and try again. That's where the success comes from. And if you see anybody who have, who have been, you know, hugely successful, whether it's an athlete or a CEO or whatever, they have always gone through huge shifts and huge failures and coaches telling them they're going to amount to nothing and losing the big game and everything before they got to the win. So it's really just taking comfort in knowing that the failures, usually successes lie on the other side of failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And at least any success that we can be truly excited about because if success (laughs) is easy, like we don't get excited about doing things that are easy, honestly. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know why everyone wants life to be so easy mm. because I don't know about you, but anytime something's easy for me to do, I don't usually feel like I've done anything very uh, exciting, right? It doesn't yeah. feel like, oh, I accomplished something. Oh, I can be proud of myself. Right. Um, so that's, again, part of the challenge of just accepting that doing things that are hard and doing things that are out of your comfort zone and doing things that put you at that risk for failure, that that's the only way to actually do anything that's meaningful. And, you know, I'm not a mom, but I'm sure you can agree that like being a parent is probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do, but it's also probably one of the most rewarding because of the, you know, the challenge that you're, you're overcoming and the, you know, just the joy of being able to see the results of all that work Mm -hmm. you put in. So I feel like business building is the same way. It's not easy for anybody. It gets easier and elements of it get easier and things just start to become more second nature for you. But again, being in groups where there's people running multi-million dollar businesses, I can tell you none of them would say, oh yeah, business is easy now and everything right. is always successful. And like, I never struggle with anything. And even just like they get to a level of success and they realize like, oh, now I have to go back in and deal with mindset stuff because I thought being successful like this was going to make me happy and now I'm not. So it's like just always new stuff coming up. So I really had to kind of come to grips with that recently where I was like, oh, there is no end point. There is no like finish line that I'm going to get to that all of a sudden everything's going to be hunky dory and easy and like smooth and everything. And so the faster we can accept that and look at these challenges as being the the purpose of trying new things and the purpose of setting goals, then it's going to take a lot of that um, negative energy out of the times we do screw up and we don't get the thing we wanted. Yeah. Last quick question is from Liv. She says, how do you measure if you're successful? I know I'm actually doing well in practice, but I just keep seeing more and more patients because I think, well, if I see five more next week, I'll hit X, but then it never stops and I am tired. 
<laughs> I love that. I'm I love tired. She, yeah. I'm tired with you. Yeah. Um, so, oh my gosh, this is a really great question. And yeah. honestly, I feel like everybody's got to make their own definition of success because what it sounds like for this person, I forget what her Liv. name was, Liv. L-I-V, um, yeah. It sounds like possibly, and I don't know her, I'd have to ask some questions to know if this is the case, but it sounds like possibly she's measuring success based on somebody else's metric, like the number of clients she's working with, or maybe it's the amount of money that she's making that makes her feel like she's successful. And so that can be a really dangerous trap to get into because first of all, again, if you feel like being successful just means constantly having more and more clients, then you're going to hit a point where either you can't grow anymore or you're just burning yourself out. And that's a lot of people get there. And so there's no shame in it, but just realize that like, that's not the goal of entrepreneurship, right? Like the goal is not to work yourself so hard until you just like want to quit. Um, so that's where we have to really be thinking about how do we define success and making sure that we have done the work to actually define it on our own terms. And this is something that I've had to really watch myself around because it is so easy to get sucked up into what other people consider success, even if even if they are feeling successful. Like that's one thing I always have to be really mindful of with the mentors that I work with because what can happen for me is I start to say, oh, well, if I'm successful, my business will look like theirs or even mm. the peers that I have that they're, you know, their business on the outside looks awesome. I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to build because that's what success is. And then ultimately either I build it and it's like, oh, okay, that's it. Like not so exciting or I'm struggling to build it and I'm putting all this energy in and I'm, you know, frustrated and stressed and like, my whole life revolves around reaching that goal. And ultimately it wasn't even a goal that I really cared that much about. So I feel like goal setting and defining success always has to come from within. And we always have to be checking on ourselves on a regular basis because it can get really easy to just get swept up in results that are external, like, Oh, how much money you're making, how many clients you have, all of that without really pausing to say like, okay, but what do I want with this business? What, What's going to make me feel awesome every day I wake up in the morning knowing I get to do it during that day? And maybe for you, Liv, it's having some free time. Maybe you only want to have a couple days a week that you work with clients and you want to have some time to yourself. You want to have time for your family, for your friends, for your hobbies, that kind of thing. And maybe that's what success looks like for you. And so for you, taking less clients and maybe changing your business up a little bit so that you don't have to see as many people to have that same revenue that would actually be more successful for you than just arbitrarily bringing on new clients. So it is really tough. It's very easy to get swept up in, in other people's definition of success. And ultimately, we always have to be the ones that are deciding what success looks like for us. And it may not look like what it looks like for other people. And that's totally okay. Hmm. I love that. LaraSchonfeldRD.com. Uh, we were talking before you jumped on and or before we started the call, and it sounds like you are possibly starting um, in September. You're launching another nutrition business accelerator. Where can people? What is that actually? And then where can people? <laughs> where can people find out more about that? Because this is actually when this episode airs, it'll be uh, just around the corner. Yeah. So um, depending on when it is, we may have some free trainings that are going up that you guys would be 
I'd be so happy to have you participate in. Um, the best way to find out about that, I would say, would either be, ironically, I'll be talking about it on Instagram, <laughs> or <laughs> if you sign up for any of my um, my lead magnets, which is like my free stuff that I give you to get on my email list, then of course I'll be sending emails out about that as well. So um, it does depend on when we actually nail down the dates and then also when the date of this podcast comes out. But basically the nutrition business accelerator program is my signature program that helps people start, grow and scale their online nutrition business. Whether you want to do one-on-one with clients or you want to run group programs, create online courses, uh, whatever you want to create for your business to bring in revenue, this is really the foundational stuff you need to have figured out to be able to grow your business. Um, it's appropriate for people that are brand new. I've actually had people join that were still in their dietetics program and they were just wanting to get the ball rolling before they uh, graduated. And then I've even had people join the program that have been in business for 10 years and really needed a refresher to just kind of get the foundation set more effectively so that they could reach their next level. So um, it's really kind of like everything I've learned in the eight years of running a business, of helping Chris with his business, um, learning from all the different coaches and mentors that I've learned from. I've really distilled it all into the things that are the essentials for having an effective online business. And um, we work primarily with nutritionists, so dietitians, NTPs, um, any kind of certified nutrition specialist, anyone who can legally run a nutrition business online is welcome to apply. Um, and then if you're not necessarily ready for the NBA, which is definitely more of a, you know, a significant time and financial commitment, we do have our niche masterclass, which is on my website. It's also on my laurashoenfeld.com website. I have two websites because oh. I'm crazy like that. Um, <laughs> but either way, the Laura Schoenfeld RD or just laurashoenfeld.com, either of those, you can find my niche masterclass, which is a deep dive into all the stuff we talked about today about finding your niche, figuring out who you want to help, how you want to help them, and what's going to make you stand out in the marketplace so that you can get clients. And then from there, if you want to be a part of the NBA, we're going to teach you how to structure your whole uh, offer suite and marketing plan around that niche. Cool. So Laura Schoenfeld RD on Instagram, Laura Schoenfeld on D R rd.com. And then you also have larshawnfeld.com. I'll go ahead and link to everything in the show notes. Um, <laughs> she just also- Google, just Google <laughs> Laura Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld. Yeah. You'll find something. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we mentioned two books. I'll link to those in the show notes, the Nutrition Business Accelerator. I'll link to it in the show notes. So you guys will have all of the goods. And if you're listening to this in the future, it's not 2021 anymore. It's, you know, years past. Um, I'm sure Laura's is still going to have a program or the program. So we'll just try to update the links and make sure that it's in there. Um, but I think as, as, sure, as you said, I'm sure I'll be selling something online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing this is going to be the direction I'm in yeah. for the next several years. Yeah. So, uh, as you said, obviously ironic, I can, sorry, what? No, no, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say like, it was seven to eight years of, well, I really 10 years of focus on nutrition. So I'm going to give myself another 10 years for the business coaching. So if it's 2031, maybe we might have to revisit the conversation, but any other time I should Deal. be good. <laughs> Deal. Um, I was going to say, ironic as it is, just follow Laura on Instagram and you can just keep up with 
what's going on? Um, Listen, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I am always on the fence of just leaving Instagram for good. I look at it as it's a tool and I just show up kind of like, all right, I'm going to make sure people remember me and like can learn about my stuff. But um, it's definitely not. I don't put all my eggs in that basket and I try to minimize my time spent there. And honestly, Instagram wasn't even really a thing when I started my business. So I know Noelle and I are from the old school, like content marketing, like, you know, put the content out there and uh, like help people see why you're the person they want to work with. So that's always worked well for me. Same. So I have never really had this, like, I feel like everybody shot past us with their Instagram followers. And I was like, Oh, what am I Instagram? I don't need that. And then finally, a few years ago, I was like, oh, I probably should get on Instagram. But just stop no, doing like random, like eating out pics with like yeah. Those yeah. Stupid filters on today. them. Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh, <laughs> Maybe Lord. I should elevate my game a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely, I use it, but again, it's a tool and who knows if I'll stay on there, but yeah. Probably won't trash it, but I don't know if it's something that I'm going to be like super like active on. Yeah, and I mean it's a good testament because you can you have a super successful business and you're you don't have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. So I I just I like seeing that perspective too of like. No, I didn't grow my business on Instagram, and no, I didn't need 10,000 followers in the swipe up feature to be successful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, honestly, I right now, I'm lucky if I'm even gaining total followers. Like, my mm-hmm. my follower count has looked like a roller coaster because basically I'm, like, losing and gaining at the same rate. So, yeah. my, my account has not grown whatsoever, and my revenue has more than doubled in the last year. So, I don't... I don't think it's, it's not a focus of mine and most of my clients don't necessarily focus there either. So it's a tool. If you guys like it, use it. Great. But if you don't like it, don't feel like you can't be successful without it. And we'll end with that. Uh, for more from Laura, go to laurashonfeldrd.com. For more from me, go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thank you for submitting questions. I hope this was super helpful. Thank you, Laura, for being here. We will talk to you next week.